Cyberwork with InfoSec has recently celebrated its 100th episode. Thank you to all of you that watch and listen and subscribe to both the audio podcast and our YouTube channel. We're so grateful to hear from all of you, and we look forward to speaking with you more about all aspects of the cybersecurity industry. To celebrate this milestone, we have a very special offer for listeners of the podcast. We're giving 30 days of free training through our InfoSec Skills platform. Go to infosecinstitute.com skills and sign up for an account or just click the link in the description below. While you're there, enter the coupon code CYBERWORK, one word, all lowercase, C-Y-B-E-R-W-O-R-K, when signing up and you will get your free access. You'll get 30 days of unlimited projects to over 500 cybersecurity courses featuring cloud-hosted cyber ranges, hands-on projects, customizable certification, practice exams, skills assessments, and more. Again, check out the link in the description below and use the code CYBERWORK, C-Y-B-E-R-W-O-R-K, to get your free month of cybersecurity training today. And thank you once again for listening and watching. Now, let's get to the episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Cyberwork with InfoSec podcast. Each week I sit down with a different industry thought leader and we discuss the latest cybersecurity trends, how those trends are affecting the work of InfoSec professionals, while offering tips for those trying to break in or move up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. It's been a while since we talked about penetration testing and offense-oriented network security on the show, and I know that some of you have been asking for it, so today's your lucky day. On the show, we have Dr. Wesley McGrew, the Director of Cyber Operations for Horn Cyber. We're going to talk about going on the offensive as a good defense, the current state of pen testing, and the raw work of reverse engineering malicious software and vulnerability testing. If you're looking for the type of job that gets you out on the cybersecurity battlefield and fighting the bad guys, you're going to want to give this episode your undivided attention. Dr. Wesley McGrew is the author of Penetration Testing and Forensics Tools Used by Many Practitioners. He is a frequent presenter at DEF CON and Black Hat USA. At the National Forensics Training Center, he provided digital forensics training to law enforcement and wounded veterans. As an adjunct professor, he designed a course he teaches in reverse engineering to students at Mississippi State University using real-world high-profile malware soft, uh, samples. Uh, this effort was undertaken as part of earning National Security Agency CAE CyberOps certification for the university. He has presented his work on critical infrastructure security to the DHS Joint Working Group on Industrial Control Systems. Wesley earned his PhD in computer science at Mississippi State University for his research in vulnerability analysis of SCADA HMI systems used in national critical infrastructure. He served as research professor at MSU's Department of Computer Science and Engineering and Distributed Analytics and Security Institute. Wes, thanks for being here today. No problem. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so I ask every guest, you know, how they got into computers and tech for the first time. So I want to ask you that, but I really want to know uh, how you got interested in pen testing, forensics, reverse engineering, and the sort of offense as defense school of security. What was, what was the draw there? So, so I've always been better at breaking things than anything else. And okay. so, uh, I, I, you know, as a... As a child, I was always the one that took things apart and wanted to know how things worked and how right. to subvert things. Uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, learning how to teaching myself how to code on Commodore 64 and early right. PCs and such. And, uh, and and actually, I made sure it was in the frame. But in 92, I saw this movie, uh, Sneakers, and that's the Laserdisc oh. copy of it on, on my shelf. How there. about that? Oh, uh, yeah. See, and, uh, that movie changed and, lives. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know, I want Robert Redford's job in that. And he, there he you go. A team of pen testers in that. Yeah. So that's 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 what I set out to do. Uh, See, it's funny. Know. I like I saw that movie at that time too, and I never made the jump to like 
you could actually do that as a job. You know, I think it's kind of like yeah, you, that, see, you see a rock star and you're like, well, I couldn't actually get on stage, but it's like people do it all the time. So it's interesting that you were like, yes, this is for me. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so I went to school for computer science at Mississippi state and in grad school, uh, I helped out with developing the computer security program there and some of the coursework and some of the research programs there for that and then use that as a springboard into uh, computer security work. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so um, you've been doing it for a while, obviously. You started in the Commodore 64 era. How has the practice of pen testing and computer forensics changed and evolved in 2020 versus when you first got involved? I imagine it's an order of magnitude more complex now, or is it? are you still basically doing the same things? Well, networks have gotten more complex. Okay. So, uh, so the number of hosts are, are, are much greater. And where before, you know, it used to be a, a very particular thing to have computers controlling physical processes. It would be an industrial control system situation or a, or a in critical infrastructure situation. But I would say that most organizations have some sort of cyber physical system, be it an mm. HVAC and cameras and, and access controls for buildings and things like that. And so uh, more and more as we compromise things on these complicated networks, we gain a physical presence inside the target organization through the things that we've compromised through microphones and cameras and ability to impact elements of the environment. And so uh, I would think that I would say that it hasn't gotten any harder or any easier, but it's more complicated and we, we have more people on our teams doing that. You okay. could do it solo for a long time, but now right. you don't do a large network without it being a team. Uh, does it require more complexity of thought or more complexity of tools or both? Uh, it requires a lot of uh, interesting management of resources, right? And okay. so uh, for each of our penetration testing engagements, we have four or five people per engagement. And it's important that we make sure that they don't duplicate effort and that they're, uh, they each have specialties and say in, ICS or in web application security or in network protocols or something like that. And so uh, we got to make sure that they're working on the right things, even though they all have a breadth of experience to, to take a, uh, you know, a triage look at anything. Right. Okay. Um, so for listeners who are looking to break into the area, uh, this particular sort of career field, especially in regards to building up their skill set, what are some types of jobs or studies, certs, labs, projects, or other tasks that you recommend to learn the raw skills of pen testing, reverse engineering, vulnerability analysis, well, things like that? I think to, to identify vulnerabilities, uh, you, you, can, you can identify publicly known vulnerabilities easily. Most of the vulnerability information has uh, documentation on how to test for a specific vulnerability. Uh, to find new vulnerabilities, you need to learn how to code. You need to learn how networks work. You need to get a little bit of systems administration experience. Okay. And that can be hands-on. It can, it can be in a home lab. Right. Uh, you know, there's lots of online capture the flags and virtual machines and things like that. But I really encourage people to, to who get into this to learn how to code, learn networking protocols, TCP, uh, and all of that at, to a really in-depth extent. Because when you're finding vulnerabilities in these systems, it's because you understand things at a, at a, a lower level of abstraction than the people who develop it. And you're exploiting their misunderstandings about that mm. underlying system. And so it's okay. important that you 
that you get a very low level knowledge of uh, of the systems that you're developing for, or more detailed knowledge that is. Okay, can you can you sort of that's a really interesting phrase. Can you break down the sort of notion of of understanding the sort of errors of of, of lower level people like that? Or I, I remember right. exactly what you said, but I, that that sounded like something that that requires a little more uh, a little more unpacking. So, so it's it's all about levels of abstraction. So, okay. if a if a general non computer science person uses a computer, uh, you know they see it as they they click on the start menu and they hit the word icon, yep. and that's their interface to the computer. How a computer works to them is by navigating menus and opening up programs, and they have this sort yep. of model of how programs work in windows and things. Yeah. Uh, if you're a developer, if you're just learning how to, to write code, say you're a, say you're a C programmer and you are writing code based off of what you've learned in a book on C programming. And it's teaching you about allocating memory for local variables or global variables or things like that. And, and uh, it's giving you a model of how memory works uh, under the scene, under the hood, how the compiler generates code that allocates memory, it doesn't exactly work like that. Hmm. Uh, and that's why things like buffer overflows and memory corruption exploits happen is because right. the pro- person who wrote the code doesn't understand how it's turned into machine code. I see. The processor runs. So that's and where, that's, he, that's where a lot of the vulnerabilities come from is, is people who don't have that sort of like cross, cross technology or whatever. Right, and so and it works all the way down, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're writing code to to uh, if you're writing code at an assembly language level, the operating system is hiding off memory from you from other processes and things mm-hmm. like that. And so the the lower and lower you go in that stack and understand it in a more detailed way, the better. And so I encourage people to learn uh, to pick up some reverse engineering so okay. that you understand vulnerabilities better. Uh, uh, so. If you were looking for someone, you know, you're looking at applications uh, for people who, you know, would join your team. What are some some absolute must-have experiences or certs or, you know, degrees or just, you know, things that they've done that you would say, I, I, I have to have someone who at least knows how to do this to join my team? Well, we recruit heavily from Mississippi State University and other cyber operations uh, certified schools. And so that would, but we don't necessarily care if somebody has a degree or not, but it does help having that computer science background. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somebody who can, who can write code, somebody who has uh, uh, some interest in reverse engineering and some interest in vulnerability analysis and has demonstrated that somebody who, uh, can write code or read code at least in multiple languages and be mm-hmm. able to to, uh, to to do both application security testing and vulnerability analysis on networks as well. Okay, um, so I, I want to sort of talk about some of your the various hats you wear and 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 you know areas of interest that you have. So uh, to start with, just so I'm sure we're all on the same page, what what do you mean by offense oriented network security? I mean, it really sounds like. You know, this is something you want to get into if you are looking to bring the fight to the hackers. So there's two things going on here, and both of them okay. are interesting to talk about. Uh, uh, the what we're talking about mostly when we talk about offense-oriented security is in identifying where to spend resources for security by taking an attacker's view of your network. And that's penetration testing, application security review, yep. uh, uh, social engineering, all sorts of things. If there's, you know, a, uh, a thousand vulnerabilities on a network, 
but only some small percentage of them are actually exploitable in a real world threat model by a real world attacker. Right. By taking a penetration testing or red teaming view of the network, you can identify those vulnerabilities, remediate those, spend your resources there. It's easy to spend money in the wrong direction in security. You can spend a lot of money on things that are never going to happen. Okay. Uh, the other side of that, which you're talking about, is essentially what people refer to as hack back. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you're where you're going on the offensive against actual attackers, and the legal frameworks for that are, are not really in place right now, though there's yeah. been some bills introduced for that, uh, and that's talking about uh, hacking back into uh, either the attackers' command and control or their or intermediate nodes in order to capture attribution data, and that's 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 an interesting thing as well. That would it would involve some rollback of some of the more extreme or some of the more broad restrictions of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act for people who are investigating computer crime. Okay. Do you, I mean, do you see those, those laws changing anytime soon? I, I don't know that, that, that any of those bills will be successful. I was tracking one for a while, but I don't, I don't know where it went, to be, all, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting in the InfoSec community about this. Is there's a lot of strong... Uh, pushback on hackback, but at the same time, there's uh, lots of people in the community who who uh, who have uh, you know attacked command and control and have uh, uh, taken a look at command and control servers and recovered data from those things, hmm. and uh, would probably appreciate some reduction in the scope of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act for computer security professionals. Right. So uh, there, there's 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 a there's a balance there somewhere that we've got to find. Okay, so um, what I guess you mentioned some of it, you know, penetration testing and red teaming and stuff. But what are the primary tools in your arsenal for offense-oriented security? Well, we've got a custom uh, build of Kali Linux that we use. Uh, we've got uh, so we've got all the normal tools that are in Kali Linux. Your in maps and your metasploits and, and and all the things that we can pull in from those repositories. Uh, the most important thing for us is that we deal with large networks, uh, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of posts on a network. We need to be able to manage that. And so we have our own internal management system where individual uh, 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 pen testers in an engagement can check out areas of networks and check them back in, file reports on, on things. And there's really nothing like that in the, in the, public domain that I know of that works on a large scale like that. Yeah. But it's important that you have something like that and that you have a system for managing these large engagements. Okay. So that's sort of like the umbrella that all the other sort of things work underneath. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a framework for it. And another thing that we have that's really important for us is that we're able to reduce the amount of on-site time that we have of clients or even eliminated in some cases hmm. with our internal tests by uh, deploying an appliance that we've developed that uh, not only so, so many pen testing appliances allow like a, a, a proxy, a SOX proxy or an SSH tunnel into the network. Uh, we have a, the ability to have a full VPN connection from our office into a client network through our penetration testing appliance. And so we can drop individual VMs onto client networks through that in order yeah, okay. to conduct our testing. So you can do a lot more from where you're at. Yeah, it's a little more transparent, seamless, and there's mm-hmm. not as much configuration with the tools. Okay, it's so, secure because yeah. as it's through an encrypted tunnel. 
Okay. So I'm, I'm sure it varies from, from client to client, but can you kind of walk me through like on average, like you, you get a new client, you have to either visit them in person or virtually like this. Like what, what are your sort of first steps in diagnosing their problems or setting up a pen test or setting up a, a system for deciding what needs to happen next? We, well, we try to work with them. So this, like, red teaming and pen testing can be an adversarial thing, sure. uh, but it yeah. shouldn't be, right? Okay. Uh, our goal is to empower the client to get the resources they need to make changes. Mm-hmm. And so we talk to them about what they're doing with security now. We talk to them uh, about what, they're, what they would like to see out of a penetration test. Are they trying to get resources for a particular type of a program? Are they trying to, to uh, use it to improve things? We'd rather it not be a, a gotcha against somebody. We'd rather right. not be hired by somebody to make their IT staff look bad. That Nobody right. wins in that. Uh, yeah. And so we talk to them about scoping. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we talk about external ranges and internal ranges. Uh, we try to get a feel for anything in their environment that they own, that they, that they do not own, things that are third party on that we can't touch. Uh, we talk to them about sensitive systems that may have fallen over in previous pen tests under other vendors uh, so that we can have an idea of what we can do without uh, causing a lot of operational disruption. Mm-hmm. And we just educate them about our process and about how we try to do this in a secure way that pre- prevents it. We don't want to leave the network in a worse state than it was when we got yeah. there. Yeah. Um, or make people, feel, like you said, make people feel bad about themselves or their lack of knowledge. Or right. Yeah. yeah. We talk about reporting and, and how, what that report's going to look like for them and who that's going to be, who's the target audience for that report. We, we talk about all that and then we start laying out emergency contacts and getting, getting things shipped out and getting the engagement rolling. And then it's communication throughout the engagement. Uh, usually with me and the client directly and I liaise, I'm the liaison for the team that's actually doing the engagement so that at any point they can, if they see some weird activity on their network, they can contact me. I can verify. Yes, that was us or nope, that wasn't us. Oh, I think we've got something else going <laughs> we, on. We now. found something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Accidentally. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, we started talking to guests about red teaming about a little under a year ago and it's, it's funny how, the sort of mythology of it sort of grew and then dissipated. Cause like when it started, like there was all these, these rumors, like, I think someone kidnapped a CEO, you know, like how far <laughs> can you go? Can you break windows? Can you blah, 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 you know, but yeah, clearly this is all a, a consent based thing. And obviously you, yeah, we're not looking can. to ruin somebody's day. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Or like cause actual terror. <laughs> right. So yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. So again, it sounds like it's very, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's aimed at education and it's aimed at, at sort of, you know, a cons- consensual situation here. So that's, that's very important. The, the goal is to identify the vulnerabilities that are most likely to be used by real attackers. Right. And, and as you, you said that before, I wanted to sort of get back to that. What are some of the things you said that a lot of people spend a lot of money protecting against things that are never going to happen? Can you give me some sort of key examples of that? Well, I mean, in, uh, you know, you can spend a lot of money on very nice firewalls and, and intrusion detection systems pointed towards the outside world, like measure, like looking at that traffic coming into your external IP address. Uh, but in reality, you know, uh, you may have one external IP address that everything else is added through mm-hmm. and uh, nothing externally can make a direct connection anyways. You should be more concerned with individual hosts inside of your network getting compromised through malware and phishing and other scams like that. Right. And then once the attacker gets access to one of those internal nodes, being able to move laterally 
uh, in a way that that external firewall intrusion detection sensor can't identify. And so you can spend a lot of money on that external without uh, without realizing that that's not how the attacker is going to come in. Right. Um, do you do a lot with the uh, sort of social engineering and phishing type things? Are you like dropping USBs in the parking lot and stuff like that? Yes, we have the capability of doing that sort of stuff, and we'll do it on some engagements. Uh, you know, generally, the, the thing is, is you can, you can run a, a, a social engineering engagement and do something like phishing. And then and you'll, the first time we do it with a client, we'll get, say, a 20% hit rate uh, of people submitting credentials, right? And so mm-hmm. a really good pretext, we get like 20 30%. Mm-hmm. We give them the report. We say, okay, we did this many people, 30% of them fell for it. You need our recommendation is did you do user education and awareness and all this sort of stuff and anything. And then a year rolls around, we come back and we do it again on a new engagement, and now it's dropped down to 10%. And then the next time it's 5%. But you never really get any better than 5%. Uh, it, it doesn't matter how, how much you train your yeah. users. Right. There's going to be a good pretext. There's going to be somebody having a bad day. Yep. Someone's tired. Uh, you know, everybody's going to uh, fall for something at some point, right? Yeah. And so you, the trick is, we tell our clients, uh, you know, the trick is through social engineering, through zero day attacks, through th- whatever, or pick any random node on your network. Assume it's compromised. If mm. somebody's got control of that, are they limited to that? Or are they going to run the board on the rest of your network? There you go. And so we do social engineering and we test that out for, for their awareness and their kind of tracking. Mm-hmm. But in reality, we tell them to assume that it's going to work at some point. And so there's a, yeah. there's a limit to it. There you uh, go. There's a limit to how useful it is. Uh, so we, we talked about this a little bit before, and I want to be uh, a little, little deeper about this, but you, your background list of special occasions, you know, uh, special specializations, we're talking, you know, offensive network security, pen testing, vulnerability analysis, reverse engineering, computer forensics, traffic analysis, you know, that's all sort of a spectrum of related skills and tasks, but is it, is it common to have experience in all those areas or do a lot more people just specialize in one thing, malware analysis or just pen testing? Well, I think that, that when you're uh, working offense, you don't really have the luxury of picking uh, okay. uh, what stuff your target. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have the luxury of picking your target often. It's not like and a surgeon so, where you're just dealing with veins. Like you kind of have to know everything. Yeah, you kind of have, if you're doing pen testing red team, you kind of have to have a at least a little bit of knowledge in a lot of things, right? Okay. And so we have people with specialties, right? We have folks that specialize in, in web application security. Mm-hmm. We have folks that specialize in uh, you know Windows post exploitation, we have uh, folks like like me that specialize in reverse engineering and and for particular engagements, you know those those come into play more often than not. But all of us are able to do a little bit of all of it. Okay, so your specialty is reverse engineering out of all of those things. Yeah, I would say that that that's sort of the deepest dive part of it for me. Okay, could you could you talk a little bit about what that what that kind of job is like? Because I don't think we've had anyone on here who who had that as their specialty, and I know people would be interested in knowing like what's what's the day to day of of working on malware like that. So for for us, uh, the day to day for me for reverse engineering is in reverse engineering ransomware. We have a mm. we have a product called Threat Runner that allow that uh, provides our customers with de-weaponized ransomware that allows them to simulate the spread of ransomware on their network in order to see what the impact would be and see who has hmm. too much permission on the network. What, what, what's, what are th- some things that are too connected here? Wow. 
and so uh, I will look at ransomware variants as they come out to identify how they work, see if there's anything unique that needs to be worked into our modules. Uh, we also do reverse engineering for the purposes of vulnerability analysis to identify uh, how a compiled binary program works in order to find vulnerabilities in it or to find, you know, uh, hidden functionality in it. Um, and so uh, that's, that's sort of uh, uh, the, the day-to-day of it. Uh, to get into that, uh, uh, you know, uh, I teach a reverse engineering course uh, across the highway okay. at Mississippi State University on occasion yep. uh, where, where we use the, um, the practical malware analysis book Sikorsky and Honig wrote uh, for No Starch Press. Hmm. is the textbook for that. Uh, and, and we, we, in teaching that it's a matter of, uh, uh, we teach, I, I teach it as a form of design recovery. So the software engineering process in reverse. So software engineering, you have, uh, you have your requirements for a piece of software. You have the design for that software or that implements those requirements. You have the implementation. That's a code that implements that design and then it's deployed and, and documented and things like that for normal software. For malware, the deployment uh, does not want you to know the design or the intent or the requirements. And so right. you have this chunk of code uh, and you know nothing about it other than it, it, it can run on a computer and it can probably screw it up, right? Yeah. And so uh, you use static analysis and dynamic analysis techniques to recover the implementation details of it. And from that, you can kind of gain some understanding of the design of it and then hopefully determine the, the requirements. What is, what is the purpose of this piece of code? What is the, uh, how does it do what it does? How do we detect it? Uh, what are its capabilities? Who wrote it? That sort of stuff. Okay. Uh, so in, in general, what are some of the parts of your job that you love the most? And like, what are the aspects that get you excited to start a new week? And, and conversely, are there any parts that you dread having to do like reports or paperwork or other things? You know, a lot of people don't like reporting, but, uh, you know, we've really worked hard here on streamlining the report generation process. And since that report is what's delivered to the client as a deliverable uh, it's important that it's right. And so I, I spend a lot of time working on the wording of those, working on sort of the language we use and the way we present our findings, the, making it easy to read, making it easy to uh, read for a variety of audiences, C-suite all the way to the technical folks, right? So uh, we have to demonstrate business impact. And, and I think it's interesting. And so I enjoyed the report stuff a lot. Uh, you know, what gets me interested is the, the, the uh, managing the process of this now, uh, having, being able to have four or five per engagement, very talented people on staff uh, uh, where I can sort of direct them and say, a, uh, uh, and look over their shoulders and see at any given moment, all of them finding, you know, different findings on networks and being able to troubleshoot problems and anything that they're having, uh, technical issues that we're having with our infrastructure, uh, looking at, at uh, uh, things that we suspect to be vulnerable but haven't proven yet. You know, that it's, a, it's new puzzles every day. It's different things we see on networks every day that, that, are, that are interesting. Uh, and it's the, the most entertaining part of it is the success rate of finding vulnerabilities. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, we see so many networks and so many hosts 
that it's hard to say if there's anything that we haven't seen on a network mm-hmm. yet. Uh, and, and so every time we see something new, it's interesting. So we, we, you know, for example, one day, uh, I looked over the shoulder of one of my team members and he was at a basic prompt, like a computer basic, like basic <laughs> programming language, yeah. like, you know, with like 10 print, hello world, 20 yeah. go to 10 type things. Right. Yeah, sure. And I'm like, what, what are you looking, what is this that you're <laughs> That's in? My knowledge stops. And it was a, uh, uh, serial to ethernet converter and the mm. configuration in for it and was implemented in a basic interpreter or something. And so I was like, well, coming from the Commodore 64, move aside, kid. I've got this. Oh, like, yeah. like <laughs> I don't know what to do with this thing. <laughs> you know, That's it, great. Yeah. You're on my turf unusual now. Unusual things every day uh, and interesting vulnerabilities and things. And it's just a, it's an intellectual, uh, intellectually rewarding. I think. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, you sort of are answering my next question here, but I know uh, it, it sounds like you enjoy actually sort of being, for lack of a better word, the puppet master in terms of like, you know, directing other people. But, you know, a lot of times we speak to people who have become, you know, directors of their organizations or reached a certain point in their career chain. Uh, you know, they find that the nuts and bolts of the thing that they like to do gets taken away and turns into days full of, you know, big picture projects, meetings with clients, top down planning, allocation of projects to others. Uh, but it sounds like you sort of have found a balance there. How much hands on pen testing and vulnerable research do you get to do? And how much is spent on these sort of macro tasks? And is that an acceptable balance to you? Well, I, I, I'm lucky. I get to sort of define that myself, right? Okay. And so I do enjoy the big picture stuff. And mm-hmm. so uh, I do mostly that. But, uh, you know, I'm able to dip into the nuts and bolts of pen testing and right. vulnerability analysis and reverse engineering as much as I want to as well. And and it's important that I do that for for, for my research and for uh, you know, presentations at conferences and things like that. It's important that that be new work. And so it's important to set aside a, per- a small percentage of time for research mm-hmm. uh, as well as management of engagements. And so that's just a, it's a time management thing. And, uh, and sometimes you have to, uh, sometimes um, uh, you have to, to state that and, and, and command that rather than waiting for somebody else to give you the time for it, to give you permission for it. Right. You, you, have, yeah. you, have to, you kind of have to take charge of that yourself. You got to put your foot down. Yeah. Uh, so you're a, a frequent presenter at, at DEF CON and, and Black Hat, which are kind of national holidays for folks in our line of work. What are some of the more memorable events or presentations that you've done at these conferences recently? So uh, I wish somebody would tell me that it was a holiday. I wound yeah. up doing a lot out there. A lot there. of work, it's, yeah. It's a, it's a lot of, uh, so I do a lot of presentations. I've done a lot of training uh, 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 workshops and things like that out there and meetings and such. So I stay pretty busy. Uh, you know, one thing I've really enjoyed out at DEF CON is uh, presenting at Black Hat is presenting some of the work that I've done on uh, vulnerabilities and penetration testing processes. So it's uh, operational security for pen testers and red teamers, essentially. So mm-hmm. the tools and processes and, and and things that we use are no more secure than and than the software that we're attacking often. And so yeah, looking at the communication security and operational security of our engagements, so that we're protecting our clients' data. Uh, in transit and in in state uh, when we're doing a pen test is important. And I've really enjoyed talking about vulnerabilities in pen testing software and hardware at those conferences. It's a little bit of a different thing. Uh, you know, I've also, we've, I've also done some reverse engineering workshops out there mm-hmm. here in Vegas, and that's always a lot of fun. Uh, 
Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's good to see everybody out there. Yeah. I guess that's the holiday aspect of it is like yeah. the, whole fa- the whole family gets together, you know, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully you're not at the kids table. Uh, right. uh, so your, your bio notes that at the national forensics training center, you provided digital forensics training to law enforcement and also wounded veterans. Can you tell me more about this? Is there like, first of all, with law enforcement, do you feel that law enforcement as a whole is using tools like computer forensics? enough in useful situations or is it still seen sort of as a novelty or a thing that not everyone does or gets to do? So when we were doing the training in this, um, it was primarily the law enforcement that we, but we would also go to the, to, to like Walter Reed hospital mm-hmm. to do, uh, to, to do it for wounded veterans. And our focus was on uh, just sort of uh, the basics of computer forensics, the basics of, of computers in general, uh, leading up to the point that somebody could uh, at least do uh, search and seizure of computer evidence and imaging of computer evidence, and then a very basic investigation. And it turned out that that what we taught was just enough to where our, uh, most law enforcement that went through the training could do their own child pornography investigation on their own, right? And so, okay. uh, you know, given a, 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 an alert, to their department about somebody sharing it on a peer-to-peer network. They could go out, serve the warrant, seize the equipment, image it, you know, hash out all the files, identify the stuff that's known child porn and put together the evidence into a case, give it to a prosecutor and, and, uh, and, and, and present that. And so uh, that's what they mostly did with it. And so anything more complicated than that, uh, you know, they would be able to identify that it was more complicated and seek additional help. And we would occasionally assist with law enforcement on some more complicated engagements and, 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 uh, and investigations. Uh, that was the main impact of that. Uh, and it, but it's been a while. And I think that, that uh, law enforcement, and uh, uh, at, at least uh, at the state and local level, which is where we did our training, that's where that's where they focus. Uh, anything, uh, anything in the thing about the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, anything hacking related or anything like that, automatically starts crossing state lines and involving computers involved yeah. in, inter, in, in, in interstate commerce or whatever. Yes, and uh, that becomes sort of the FBI's thing, and right. obviously they have uh, a lot of capability there for investigating and prosecuting those crimes. Okay, and the wounded vet project part of that is that was that sort of a skills retraining to enter the workforce? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so you'd get uh, uh, soldiers coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan with injuries, mm-hmm. and during their rehabilitation, they would go undergo this training so that they could then go into the private sector or go yep. work for state or local law enforcement, assisting out with these cases. Sounds great. Uh, so we talk a, a lot on our show. Uh, it's a regular con- uh, topic here about the skills gap in many cybersecurity sectors. Is your area of expertise feeling that pinch as well? Well, we're 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 lucky. Like, like I say, we're right across the highway from the university. Okay, and so uh, we recruit <laughs> heavily from there. Uh, you know, we we have managed to keep ourselves well staffed for for pen tests and application security testing and things like that. Mm-hmm. At uh, it's just done, right? Like yeah, you yeah. know, it's it's by, it's by a surplus, a, a, a knives edge basically. Okay. And so it's, it's hard to, to um, it's, it's hard to find people with these skill sets. But to me, when I talk to people about careers in cybersecurity, 
he uh, told him it, it's yours for the taking because mm-hmm. of that, right? You know, yep. oh, uh, if you can find the the time and resources to skill up and 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 programming and reverse engineering and vulnerability analysis and pen testing and things like that. If you can find that time, if you're privileged enough to have that time, uh, you can, you can sort of make your way into it through that. Do you have any thoughts on getting people interested and involved in this exciting field? You know, I don't think like it's an interesting field to work in. So I don't think, uh, interest is, is, is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, the sort of the prerequisite uh, knowledge and skills that have to be built up to get into it. That's the issue. Okay. Uh, so um, we mentioned a little bit about before about infrastructure, but we had a, we had a previous guest on the show, uh, Emily Miller talking about security issues with national infrastructure. And I noticed, you know, that you've presented your findings on critical infrastructure security. Uh, can you sort of get me up to st- speed about the current state of this crucial security battlefield? So the work that I did was primarily focused on vulnerabilities found in the human machine interface portion of the software. And so like your, your touchscreen control panels and things like that. Uh, The neat thing about hacking into those is when you get into something like that, you've got, you know, uh, an operator's view of the network. You have some documentation there built in as to what does what. Uh, The current state of that is, is still sort of a a little bit of a, uh, uh, it's still kind of wild because, you have all these um, uh, control system networks that that were assumed to be isolated or designed to be isolated, and then slowly over time, life uh, finds a way, and they, they wind up getting connected to corporate networks in, in one way or the other, or other organizational networks, either for data logging for process improvement or billing, or, or you know, for remote access for maintenance, uh, vendors, things like that. And so uh, uh, it's hard to assume that the network's isolated. I mean, ask the folks who were running the Natanz uh, enrichment facility in Iran about isolating networks, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it's very, it turns out to be very difficult to really isolate a network. And so yeah. uh, all the assumptions that were made uh, about the isolation of these networks and the obscurity of the protocol turn out to be, you know, not accurate. And so the vulnerabilities that you find in control systems, software, and hardware are the sorts of things that you would find in mainstream IT hardware and software in the 90s or early 2000s. And it's because mm. there haven't been as many people looking at those systems for vulnerabilities. Okay. Uh, even though there's a lot of interest in ICS security, uh, it, it just doesn't see the same amount of, of uh, hands-on attack or hands-on vulnerability analysis from security researchers as more mainstream software. And so it's a little bit behind because of that, I'd say. So is it just a resource issue or skills issue? or It's in an access issue, right? Mainstream okay. IT software, I can go download that and start banging away at it. Right. You know, if I want to play around with a PLC, I've got to find one, right? <laughs> like, okay. yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It's not enough that I can... Yeah, I've got to buy an old one on the eBay or something like that, or wow, yeah. spend you know the, the the you know a lot of money on one brand new. Yep. Uh, and so it's access to hardware and software as well that, that prevents it from seeing a lot of research interest. Do you have any sort of magic wand recommendations that you would sort of put in place to sort of tighten up infrastructure security? Well, I think that anybody who has some sort of uh, 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 control system network like that, 
uh, needs to engage in offense-oriented testing with firms that are experienced in doing that for ICS networks or hmm. uh, and that have the capability of finding vulnerabilities that are not in public databases because that's a very small percentage of the vulnerabilities that are actually out there on these sorts of networks. Would there, would there be a benefit to someone creating a startup that just specialized in updating like outdated systems like that? Uh, possibly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, anything yeah, yeah. that can be done to it, the problem is, is it, people hesitate to implement changes on their control system network okay. because it's yeah. so uh, scary to do that yeah. because it's going to uh, increase the, the potential for downtime. It's going to yeah. be a uh, operational I- issue. Right. Or what if we made it worse? Yeah. What if we make it worse? Right. <laughs> uh, so for our listeners that feel overwhelmed by their choices and we talk about so many things today, what are some inexpensive or easy steps that they could start taking today that would get them on a path to working on, you know, in the realms of offensive security and pen testing? So, so to get into pens and into, 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 yeah, just, just, you know, I don't know where to start. What's a, what's a, you know, maybe like a real basic tutorial or a real, you know, YouTube or whatever, you know, like where, where do you sort of like get, where do you begin, begin, you know, there's no camera 64s anymore. So getting, getting a hold of, uh, getting a hold of the Cali uh, Linux distribution, getting that going on a virtual machine and getting into some of the capture the flags and VMs that are out there, mm-hmm. you know, the, the damn vulnerable web app and, and, yep. uh, uh, and some of the other uh, metasploitable and things like that, just to give yourself a target to shoot at basically. Okay. Uh, you know, just, just getting started with playing around with the tools in that and not just playing around with, with uh, the attacks that are that are there in Cali or ex- exploit DB or anything like that, but look at, look at look at the vulnerabilities and understand how the code in this particular PHP web application made it vulnerable. Now try to find that kind of vulnerability in something else, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like start recognizing the patterns of vulnerabilities and applying them to other code. And 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 I think taking an interest in reading the exploits instead of just launching them uh, is probably important. Okay. So as we wrap up today, uh, where do you see the task of offensive security going in the next five or 10 years? Are there things on the horizon that are exciting to you? Well, I think that, that networks are going to continue to get more complicated and more complex, more nodes, more interactivity, more yep. to do on these things. And so it's going to be more and more important that, uh, for security reasons that you have that sort of attacker's view because again there's going to be a lot of a lot of things to to be worried about and worry about securing and when you really should be more focused on what the attackers are really going to use I think in offensive security especially I think we've got to move from just giving them a list of vulnerabilities into some more analysis uh, network-wide of these things. And so we talk about having security analysts and things like that, but we never really define what analysis means. And, mm. you know, the idea is that with so many tens of thousands of nodes or, or, or whatever on a network, you're generating a lot of data. Our, our database of findings and search scan results and things like that are very large per client. The, the question is, is how can analysis be used to generate a report off of that that gives them some actionable information on not just where their vulnerabilities are, but where they're likely to have vulnerabilities, right? Mm -hmm. This part of your network is very complicated and maybe one person at your organization understands it, right? And so that's something you should be concerned about. And so it's not a fix for a vulnerability, but maybe you need better documentation there so that everybody understands it a little bit better. Do you have a a sense if people are starting to sort of, 
do their training and sort of get involved now? Are there skills that they should be sort of learning now that are going to be sort of coming to the fore in five years, 10 years? You know, uh, just having that sort of low level knowledge, like if, if you, if, if, if everybody's learning how to program uh, in Python, you need to know how the Python interpreter works. If you, mm-hmm. if everybody's programming in C, you need to know how the compiler generates code from that. And okay. so I would say, look at whatever's being implemented. And so a couple of years ago, I did a talk at DEF CON on, on, uh, on Docker or security, looking at just, just how how are people creating Docker applications made out of multiple containers and how they communicate with each other? Hmm. Uh, you know, if you're going to attack a Docker application and anything, learn how Docker works. Learn how the networks are implemented on the back end of that. Learn how those VMs or those containers rather can talk to each other. Or uh, wherever wherever you see the trends going in in in, in development start looking at at how those technologies are implemented so that you can understand it better than the people writing the code for it okay so let's let's wrap up and 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 tell us about horn cyber what is what does your company do your primary products and your statement of purpose so horn cyber's primary focus is on this offense oriented security Mm -hmm. uh the penetration testing red teaming application security testing uh, vulnerability analysis, that sort of stuff. Uh, we also provide a cybersecurity SOC as a service. And mm-hmm. so we'll do network monitoring for some of our clients through that service. Uh, our first product that we've, we've developed and, and put out there is Threat Runner, which is our ransomware simulation product that mm-hmm. sort of embodies some of that reverse engineering knowledge of the various ransomware variants, uh, giving you the ability to run those on your network in order to see what the impact would be like like what systems is it going to spread to? What files is it going to encrypt? How fast did it do it? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. This particular user has access to tons of shares that they have no business accessing. So if they get hit by ransomware, then everything yeah. everything gets on very quickly. And so wow. it gives you a little bit of a view on the, on that. And so that's that's the product. Uh, but but the primary focus is on that offense oriented security. Hmm. Okay. And if our listeners want to know more about uh, Wesley McGrew and Horn Cyber, where can they go online? So Horn Cyber, H-O-R-N-E-C-Y-B-E-R.com. Okay. Uh, also, uh, it's on Twitter as Horn Cyber. Mm-hmm. Uh, Threat Runner is on Twitter. And, and uh, also, uh, my my Twitter is uh, at McGrew Security. And McGrew so Security. Okay. Lots of uh, interesting insights there. Very good. Uh, we'll, we'll have you all, uh, everybody go follow. Uh, Wes, thank you so much for your time today. This was really fascinating. No problem. It was a pleasure. And uh, thank you all for listening and watching today. If you enjoyed today's video, you can find many more on our YouTube page. Just go to youtube.com and type in Cyberwork with InfoSec to check out our collection of tutorials, interviews, and past webinars. If you'd rather have us in your ears during your workday, all of our videos are also available as audio podcasts. Just search Cyberwork with InfoSec in your podcast catcher of choice. Uh, And right now we are offering a free month of our InfoSec skills platform. Uh, So just go to infosecinstitute.com slash skills and sign up for an account like you normally would. And in the coupon line, type cyberwork, all one word, all small letters, no spaces for your free month. Thank you once again to Dr. Wesley McGrew. And thank you all again for watching and listening. We will speak to you next week.